I read a, a headline coming. No, actually, it was from Tim Scott's campaign. Text me on the way here. And it said, Tim Scott is proof that the American dream is coming to life from poverty to the stage. And I went, okay. Now, how did you get on Tim Scott's texting list? You only get that way by donating to his campaign, you That's know. That's a lie. I would never. <laughs> I could not donate Tim Scott. Have you been air. exposed? <laughs> Guess who else texts me? Nikki Haley. You're giving money to all these candidates? I would never. They can't have it. Mm-mm. They're going to have to get that from somewhere else. And it seems like somebody funding them because they keep showing up on stage. I remember last year, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, they were all texting me. And now my buddies haven't texted me in years. They just dropped me. <laughs> they like dropped I, you. I got yeah. ghosted by President Obama. We only needed you for a certain time. Now we're I done. know. I feel so used. <laughs> Welcome to Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks. And we're coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating, tell your friends, or write a check out to the McCravey Tissue Fund. Because he is crying up a storm today, and we'll talk about why. You can always drop us a note at black, white, blue in the south at gmail.com. That email address is in our show notes. And soon, hopefully, you could find us on Facebook and other social media outlets. Jamel, how are we doing on that Facebook page? Ooh, we doing. We're doing. They flagged you as a They flagged fake? me. They flagged me as I didn't meet their standards. So something in our name, black, white, and blue in the South, flagged them. Wow. Now, all the other crap they let float out there, that goes. But black, white, and in the South, maybe it was black and white and South in the same line that threw them off. Oh, my. The AI saw it and found us not worthy. <laughs> AI. <laughs> Well, today we are having a special episode. This is our fourth recording, and we had just gotten into a good rhythm with a good format, and we were going to settle in, but things have transpired in the past 24 hours that have dictated a special episode dedicated to one topic. Yes. And that is the upholding of the six-week fetal heartbeat bill. That's effectively an all-out abortion ban in South Carolina. It was upheld by the state Supreme Court yesterday, and it is now the law of this land. Mm. So there's a lot that we're going to talk about it. Um, I am covered in paperwork right now, and we're going to go through this in a lot of detail because I think it's important to understand the history, understand exactly what this ban is, hear what the Supreme Court logic was in making this decision, and also identify some of the key players believe it or not, most of whom are from Greenwood, that led to this ban. How are you feeling today, Jamel? Because I'm sitting here as a guy who will never be able to be impregnated, at least not in this lifetime, and I feel devastated. How do you feel? I am, I guess devastated is the cleanest way I can put it, but I am irate beyond (laughs) being irate. I said to someone weeks ago, this is just the beginning of the unraveling of what so many has marched and fought for. And it's an insult to women across the board. Regardless of your political party, your race, your religion, it is a complete and utter insult. They are saying that we are not competent enough to make a choice that impacts us. 
So I'm ready for this discussion. Let's go. Let's first talk about what this ban is, and they do call it a fetal heartbeat bill. So I'm just going to check off a list of what's in this bill and the type of impacts that it has. This ban includes making abortion illegal before many women even know they are pregnant. So basically at six weeks, and why is it six weeks? Because they arbitrarily determine that the beginning of life happens when the heart starts beating. Is that a scientific fact laid down in law somewhere? Is that a specific religious statement somewhere? No, it is a line in the sand as arbitrary as anything else. They could have picked when five fingers are seen or when they wiggle their nose or when hair is seen, whatever, they pick the heartbeat. And the technical medical thing that happens is that the cardiac cells conduct electricity. There is no heart. You can't see a heart. You're looking at electrical impulses from cardiac cells, which can be replicated in a Petri dish for that matter. with the facts. Yep. Keep going. That's where they drew the line that if you see such cardiac cell activity beyond that point, you are now locked in to seeing that pregnancy through to completion. The ban also includes requiring victims of rape or incest to provide documentation of the crime committed against them just to get access to the care they need. Yeah. I can only imagine, and even then my imagination won't come close, to be a victim of a sexual assault like that. Where do you go and bring your evidence to? Do you have it in a baggie? Do you just knock on the sheriff's door? What do you do? If I am a victim of rape or incest, you're going to make me tell who so that I can be raped and mistreated and abused all over again. Because that record is no longer sealed. It is it is public. So what do we do with all the healthcare laws that we have about HIPAA and protection of privacy and being able to determine where your information goes for treatment, payment, and healthcare operations? Who gives them the right to torture women in that way? I, I am livid. Keep going because you're doing a great job. Well, the sheriff now becomes part of your sexual history. And, and by the way, I wouldn't even call rape or incest a sexual act. It is now part of your violent history, and you are forced to report that crime. Nowhere else are you forced to report it. If if you're beaten up, punched in the face, nobody compels me to go report it to the police before I get treatment. Correct. Why are women singled out with this particularly intrusive, devastating act of rape or incest, incest especially? Just think about that. You are a 13-year-old girl who was just abused by your father. You have been impregnated. Now you've got to go to the sheriff's office on your own. Here's the issue that I'm going to bring up and challenge people to think about here. If we are saying that we are protecting the life that begins at the site or at the first observation of a heartbeat, You think that a woman's first choice is going to be to abort the baby. Because what you're saying, the individuals who voted in favor of this, is saying that the woman does not consider anything else. So she's automatically going to go with abortion. And so what we got to do is put something in place to stop her because she's not going to make the right choice. Rape, being molested, incest, those things do such psychological damage on the mother and the child once the child is here. These are things that can't be undone. And that is not for a man to tell a woman what to do with. 
they're not the ones that's going to be responsible for this whole journey. Again, imagine the 13-year-old girl who's been sexually assaulted by a, a, a father or an uncle or a brother. They're now responsible for bringing documentation of the crime to the sheriff's office. And then even then, if you wait three months, if you've gone beyond 12 weeks, it's outright banned regardless of the reason for your pregnancy. Mm. This ban threatens doctors and nurses with jail time. Yes. This is absolutely draconian in nature. <laughs> and draconian is barely scratches the surface yeah. of what this ban does. It could have been a lot worse. Mm. Greenwood's Representative John McCravey, who led the charge in the South Carolina State House for an abortion ban, was seeking a ban from the moment of conception. Wasn't even given six weeks. But here's the reality. He got what he wanted because moment of conception, six weeks, very little difference from the point of view of the mother. So you don't know you're pregnant. Correct. Not only do you have to know you're pregnant by taking some sort of pregnancy test, you have to have two different doctor's appointments. Correct. Oh, I'm, I'm ready for that. Go ahead. Talk about that. Yeah. Who's paying for these doctor visits and these ultrasounds? What are we doing when individuals are truly in healthcare deserts where they can't get the medical care that they need? Insurance companies do not pay for ultrasounds back-to-back unless it is a high-risk pregnancy or something is required. So walk me through this because I don't have the female parts in question Got here. It. And I do have kids of my own, but okay. I, I'm a guy, so I'm a little aloof. You know, I'm, I'm responsible for one part of this, and then the mama goes the rest of the way. I got you because I'm a mama. Let's go. If I understand things correctly, in the menstrual cycle, the f- most fertile period is kind of right in the middle. Correct. Right? You have your period. Two weeks later, you're at your most fertile. Yes. And then it's still a couple of weeks after that that you might have an indication that you're pregnant. Your key word is might. Okay. So it's not always a four-week cycle for every woman out Correct. there. Correct. Correct. And not every woman is going to show signs at the same time. So this cannot be a cookie-cutter law where it has to be applied to everyone. There are going to be medical conditions that throws that menstrual cycle up and down based off of the individual. So what I want to do is link this to school systems and healthcare altogether. If you are allowed to have an individual health plan, your medical record is your individual health plan. In that record, you have treatment regimens that were recommended just for you, not for me, not for my cousins, and not for your cousins, for you. That means Cookie cutter healthcare does not work. That is why you pay the money you pay to go see these healthcare providers. That is why most of them are in so much debt because they went to school to learn that one plan doesn't fit and fix everyone. So the government can't tell us that their plan will. And that's what this law is doing is applying cookie cutter to everybody without consideration of the infinite variety of the human experience. Correct. So let's say that you are considered normal and you find out now you're four weeks from your last period. Okay. And you've missed it. Maybe you wait another week because sometimes you're late. You got to test the water. You don't just want to run in and you're not. So maybe there are other things that are throwing those same symptoms that would lead you to believe that you're pregnant. Correct. So there could be other reasons. You could be on medication. You could be sick. You could have a condition. Could be a million reasons. And then you finally say, all right, I need to go see a doctor. Now, I scheduled a doctor's appointment for myself today. I have to get a physical. How far in advance? Seven weeks. There you go. 
Laws like this are going to push more health care providers out. So you not being able to get in in seven weeks is just the start of what is going to happen. That's absolutely true. In fact, our next episode, we're going to talk about preterm births and maternal mortality. Yes. Uh, as it impacts here in Greenwood and throughout South Carolina, it's a very much a related topic. I would like to walk through the history of this legislation a little bit. Okay. Uh, just going back several years, Roe versus Wade was the ruling of the land. It was not a law, but it was actually a ruling from the Supreme Court, and that governed state and federal guidelines and regulations on this subject. Finally, Roe versus Wade was overturned. And I remember going up to Greenville for a rally the day it was leaked that there w- this would be overturned. You remember okay. when it was I leaked? remember. I remember. And it was maybe a thousand people in attendance. And woman after woman got up on a megaphone, told their stories, told their fears. And it opened my eyes. And you can tell that these legislators who champion this, either have never heard these stories or have heard and don't care, which and I think it's more of the latter, because I, I know that our representatives, especially the female representatives in the state House and state Senate, let their colleagues know about these stories. I've seen those testimonies. So Roe versus Wade was finally overturned, which gave the states the green light to proceed and proceed they did. However, it was very clumsy. So last year, 2022, Roe v. Wade is gone, has been overturned. That legislative session, they attempted to enact a six-week bill or some sort of abortion ban bill, and the House and the Senate could not come to agreement on it. There was, especially the Senate, the House, I think, was aligned. It was in the Senate that they put the brakes on it. There was a lot of bickering back and forth, and in fact, the very last days of that session got very nasty. Governor McMaster appointed Greenwood's Representative John McCravey to spearhead a special summer session last year to construct and come up with a bill that would pass both House and Senate because Governor McMaster wanted to sign it as soon as everybody came back. It also was a massive failure, waste of taxpayer funds, because you have to pay for these representatives and senators to be in Columbia during the summer. At the end, they could not come to an agreement. The House wanted the total ban from the moment of conception. The Senate was not comfortable with that. So that ended the summer. Then there came the election of 2022 in November, and Democrats, several in the House, and uh, lost their seats. Then January, uh, they tried again. Oh, actually, I do think that there was a six-week bill already on the books, and they were trying to turn that six-week into an alt, a, a complete ban yeah, with Roe versus so. Wade. Yes. Then in January of this year, the state Supreme Court overturned the six-week ban that was on the books. They, they overruled it in a three-to-two vote, claiming right of privacy was overruled. How, how aware are you of that ruling? I did not know that. Okay, so they overruled it, and it was struck down. It was actually quite a shock. Because, was, say that again, it was struck down because of what? Because of the right to privacy that is built into the South Carolina Constitution. Okay, continue. The country, the United States, does not have a right to privacy in its Constitution, <laughs> but South Carolina does. Oh, Under that guidance, three to two, it was struck down. It was struck down. The three who brought it down, one was the lead judge in the Supreme Court, Justice Beatty, a black man. He said, nope, 
this is not going to stand. The other was Justice Hearn, woman. She said, nope, you know, six weeks is unreasonable. There's no way a woman could know she's pregnant. Strike it down. The third guy, Justice Few, was a conservative judge who also overruled it for a technical reason. Now, Justice Few pretty much gave the legislators a checklist saying, if you do this, that, and the other, I may consider things differently. (laughs) So the session that occurred in the first half of this year, they went back to the drawing board, essentially dusted off that same six-week bill. And again, there was back and forth between the Senate and the House. The House wanted the full ban. The Senate said, no, we're going to do six weeks. And so six weeks it was. But they changed all those checklists that Justice Few wanted. Then the Supreme Court got the challenge on this new law that was signed by Governor McMaster and yesterday overturned it in a four to one vote. So what's the difference really between January of this year and August of this year? One, the female justice is gone. She aged out. In South Carolina, there is an age limit. You hit that limit, mandatory retirement. So she was forced to be out and that let the General Assembly pick a new justice. Did they replace a female justice with another female justice? We're in South Carolina. An elderly white man. Perfect, perfect fit. Took her spot. So now we are at the only all-male Supreme Court in the country. So they voted four to one. Obviously, the new judge was a flip of the vote, but that other judge, Justice Few, the one who gave the checklist. Oh, trivia question about Justice Few. Okay. Did you know he graduated from Greenwood High School? No way. This is why I'm saying a lot of this ties back to our little red county in a very red state. Oh, I see some connections here. And then obviously you had John McCravey leading the charge on the House side, Billy Garrett sitting there quietly voting on this stuff on the Senate side. Mm. A lot of it ties back to here in Greenwood. And so for the rest of the state, we apologize and we're doing our best. It is not us. Trust me, we're trying. So the only dissenting vote was Justice Beatty, who was the chief justice. And again, the only black man on the court, and he gave the dissent which was a masterpiece. In fact, we'll include links to articles, to the Supreme Court ruling itself. There's just a lot of things in it. Now, breaking news, as you and I sit here and talk, Jamel. Yes. I just saw a news article that Planned Parenthood has filed for a rehearing on this matter. Yes. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what a rehearing is. But whenever a Supreme Court comes with a decision, I'm sure there are avenues to ask for a rehearing. Yeah. Uh, maybe some new information came to light or but there were flaws. But they don't have to accept that asking, though. I think you can appeal, but they don't have to accept no, it. No, they don't. Yeah. You can all, well, you can ask for a rehearing. Uh, the appeal could be taken to the federal Supreme Court. Yeah. But we know where that's going to go. Exactly. You know, the federal Supreme Court's not going to hear it. They're not going to be interested. I would like to pull out a couple of lines from this Supreme Court ruling. Okay. Get your take on it. Are you a lawyer, by the way? I am not. Neither am I. But there are aspects about this that I think even non-lawyers would be interested in hearing about and weighing in on. They list that the 2023 Act generally prohibits abortion after the detection of a fetal heartbeat, not at a specified period of weeks into the pregnancy. So I think the previous law said six weeks. Okay. Here, they struck out six weeks and said, when fetal heartbeats are detected, which occurs when? 
It depends. It depends. It's usually around six weeks. So yeah. that, that change of phrase was part of the reason why Justice Few said, yeah, I'm good with it now. Yeah. They defined the term fetal heartbeat as cardiac activity or the steady and repetitive rhythmic contraction of the fetal heart within the gestational sac. So again, I have a problem with the biology here. Yeah. At that time frame, you don't have a beating heart. No. You have individual cells that have electrical activity. Again, Correct. can be completely duplicated in a Petri dish by high schoolers. But they're going to call that a fetal heartbeat. Okay. Then they finally say in that same paragraph, they said that they carefully crafted the 2023 Act in an effort to demonstrate that its policy decision was not arbitrary. This blew my mind. Probably what gave me my headache this morning. Was not arbitrary? What is more arbitrary than saying we're going to define the heartbeat as life? That's what they had to come down and say, we're going to pick a time and call that the beginning of life. Why not brain activity? Why not moving of hands and limbs? Why not a million other things? In fact, the Jewish tradition says the taking of breath is the beginning of life. Okay. By the way, as an aside, Representative Beth Bernstein, I forget what county she's from, but she is the only Jewish member of the state house in South Carolina. Okay. And during the debates earlier this year, she got up and talked about a testimony from a rabbi, a written testimony that talked about the Jewish tradition of when life begins. And, and in fact, if you go to Israel, where a lot of the evangelicals are all over the moon about Israel, pro-Israel this, pro-Israel that, but they seem to forget that Israel has a state-paid abortion policy for all of its citizens. <laughs> you know, they, they would just lose their mind if they knew the abortion laws in Israel because of the Jewish belief. McCravey got up, and I have this on video, Jamal, I'm going to show it to you. McCravey completely slammed that Jewish belief. Listen to this. This amendment reads that by adding that the woman is of a religion that is disagreement with this act. And so, you know, I, everyone in here knows that I am Jewish. I now am the only Jewish member of the General Assembly in the House of Representatives. You know, a lot of people who are advancing bills like this talk about it from a religious perspective. And I'm like, where are we in the Jewish faith? Why is this something that under our faith that is in the Old Testament, in, in the Torah? And he said the, the main difference is that under Judaism, we value the life of the living, the life of the mother, more than the unborn. I was reading a statement from one of the rabbis in this state, actually the rabbi from Charleston Synagogue, Emmanuel. So the rabbi was talking about Judaism and Jewish law and how it relates to abortion. And the question of when does life begin is something that our tradition has debated this for centuries. While those values and how we value children in general have evolved over the centuries, two bedrock religious beliefs have never changed. Life begins at birth, and the health and life of the mother outweigh that of the unborn child. Representative McCravey is recognized to speak in favor of the bill.
If your religion is okay with killing babies, that's not health care. I would not expect anything more from that individual. Here's my thing, and I, I'm not the only one that has heard that there is a separation in the state and the church. This is not new. And in a state or in a country where you have multiple cultures, one culture does not get to determine what a law becomes. This is what makes me even more irate about this. Do not tie religion to this conversation. I'm sorry. I do not believe the this abortion bill is about religion. It's about something else, and I need for the people who are saying it is about religion to come up with another answer. I disagree with you. I think it's 100% about religion because that's so. what they're using. Anytime they're you using it, but that's not it. Because if your religion is what it is, if you use Christianity as your religion, that shall not kill. That goes for babies, born, unborn, and the adult versions. So we cannot pick and choose when we want to stand behind religion. Stand on it and stand ten toes down, stand deep in it, or don't stand at all. You can't tell me that my religion prevents me from having an abortion, but my religion does not prevent me from shooting the next man or pushing enough of fentanyl or anything else that can take a person's life. We don't get to pick and choose that. So you're pointing out some of the hypocrisy in the points taken where... Life is sacred. We are pro-life. But at the same time, they are advocating for the death penalty or stand your ground Correct. or any number of things that lead to Correct. human deaths. You Take can't, a, don't mention anything to me about saving an unborn child when you can't pass a hate crime bill when you have seen what the Emmanuel 9 went through. You can't sign on that line. Don't you dare waste my time on TV and tax dollars to sign and say that protect that unborn baby. And stop using religion as your protect all. I think they're using religion as a shield to coax people into believing that this is for the good of the people. Abortion, again, is not the number one cause of death. Don't put that on religion. You turn people away like that. Don't do that. I'm just wondering, and, and you know, we can go and we can do the ratio from men to women in the House and the Senate. We can look at the justices and see the ratio. I, I just don't understand why the men find it their business, their priority to determine what a woman does. This is why women need to run. Women need to flood the House and the Senate like no other. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we as women can't help but do one thing, and that is be considerate of others. Because we birth men, women, and we birth members of the LGBTQA plus community. So we're going to consider everyone. And it seems that the current individuals sitting in the House and the Senate are not. That's why you got to be careful who you put in them seats. <laughs> so also in this decision, they talk about the state's interest in protecting unborn life. They say another difference from the 2021 law, which was struck down to the 2023 law, is the idea that this new law promotes active family planning. They say, quote, first, the 2023 act encourages couples to avoid unwanted pregnancies by providing insured access to contraceptives. Section 5 of the Act requires all individual and group health insurance and health maintenance organization policies in the state shall include coverage for contraceptives. 
So it's saying because you have access to contraceptives through your employer's health plan that, yeah, you know what, now the burden is back on the mother. But I want to point out Hobby Lobby. You're familiar with that I organization? Hobby Lobby. Yes, I do. Are you familiar with the Supreme Court? The, the Now we're talking the, of the land, of the country. Burwell versus Hobby Lobby decision in 2014. Talk about it, Bill. <laughs> this decision concluded that organizations, private companies like Hobby Lobby, can block employee access to birth control. You work at Hobby Lobby, you are not getting birth control in your health care plan. I don't know why the justices of the state Supreme Court were not aware of that, but that just that excuse rang hollow. Correct. Then you've got Alan Wilson speaking oh, up. Oh, somebody told him to talk. Okay, go. Go. He likes to get in everybody's business. Mm-hmm. The attorney general says, quote, the timeline for a meaningful opportunity to make a decision begins prior to pregnancy. Women and men who engage in sexual intercourse are aware that pregnancy can result. It is that awareness that allows a woman to engage in family planning. You, you, see, you see what's happening here? Okay, just by that. You're telling me that they're saying it's the woman who should engage in the family planning. It's her responsibility. She knows better. Well, I tell you what, to all of them, why don't they take a contraceptive every day to make sure that they don't impregnate the woman? Because here's the thing. The woman is not getting pregnant by herself. She's walking around with the eggs. But it takes the man's sperm to fertilize that particular egg in order to produce a baby. See, this so it is seems why, like to me it's the men who need regulation, not the women. We do what we're supposed to be doing. This is why I have you here. Okay, I'm I, sorry. I need these insights. Yeah. I had no idea. Uh, you know, that no, X and that know. Y, that chromosome, they don't know either. And I don't know what layperson they need to tap them on their shoulder, but it doesn't take a degree to figure out how a baby is made. I'm going to share a personal story with you as we start to wind down. Okay. I've got two grown children. I love them dearly. One is 26. The other is 24. They're just the best kids ever. Love them. And I was young when they were born. I was in my early 20s. Okay. Which is why I'm so young looking today. That's it. That's it. But that came through the hardship of five pregnancies. All right. So, So two births, five tries. Two were miscarriages rather early in the process, but there was one pregnancy in between the two kids that was particularly difficult because, boy, I remember this like it was yesterday. I was at work, I was sitting in my cubicle, and I got a call from my then wife, and I could hardly understand what she was saying because she was distraught. Yeah, the pain. She Mm. was five months pregnant. Wow. Just came back from a checkup, and all signs had looked good. You know, heartbeat, kicking. Her blood pressure is great. You know, everything's looking good. But this last look, they uncovered in the ultrasound that um, this fetus had suffered from anencephaly. Anencephaly is a condition when the brain stem does not close. Correct. Which means the brain around it does not form. Yeah. So this was basically a perfectly healthy fetus absent a brain. Mm. And it was sucking its thumb, it was kicking and moving, it had everything except a brain. Now, you can imagine, that's not a viable pregnancy. And believe it or not, there's some extremists out there who think that is. But normally, if you were to carry that to term, you're talking hours, you know, days. But there was no future without a brain. You, You can't survive. 
So we had a fantastic OBGYN that's been with us through all of our pregnancies. And he just said, listen, this is what we need to do. We're going to do it. We're going to provide you aftercare as well. But we need for your own health, because now you're at risk should you carry this to term. Correct. We need to end the pregnancy right now. Then I take a look at these laws that are being built. Again, you said it earlier, Jamel. It does not take into account the variety of human existence, and everybody's situation is different. It doesn't. So you look at a law that says if you have a heartbeat, you're alive. Well, this child had a heartbeat, right? Yeah. There was a heartbeat by the definition of life that they arbitrarily chose. Yes. In other states, those births are forced to carry. In Texas and and in other states, they have to carry to term. And, and many times the woman will bleed excessively yeah. and sometimes die as a result. I was going to say, and take her life. It will end up taking her life. Now, the South Carolina representatives will say, well, we built that into this law. We said, you know, we, we gave, an, gave you an out for non-viable pregnancies. But even then, they still put conditions on it. Like you had to get two different doctor opinions. Correct. You had to go get sign-off. What if one of the doctors is a pro-life nut? extremist and says, no, I won't authorize this. Correct. You got to push out and keep going to find somebody. Your time is still going longer and longer. And now you've gone from five months to six months or to seven months. And you're not in a mental state to go shopping for doctors. At all. You know? At all. You just aren't. Yeah. And so that could have ended disastrously if we weren't in the state that we were in and, and had the laws the way they were at the time. And so to me, Whatever my opinion is, is not relevant because it is an opinion. And when you have such a variety of opinion on a subject, that's when you should back off from saying maybe we shouldn't make a law about this. Correct. When there is such variety. And maybe we should leave it to the individual's choice in that case whether to proceed. Yes, I agree. Jamel, any final words from you? Because I think I'm just going to sit here and cry. I mean, this, this is awful. Um, I, I cannot stress to you enough, anybody listening, share the podcast. You have to be prepared to remove people from the House and Senate seats that do not represent you and your beliefs. And if you don't do that, it is going to be a problem. Women, tap every woman you know. You are losing your right to choose what to do with your body, and your right to vote has not been solidified either. So keep those things in mind. This is not something we can sleep on as a state, as a nation. This is something that we have to aggressively and assertively follow through to make sure that we are an organization, a company, a body that is reflective of all. God, is in the Pledge of Allegiance, for my goodness, for all. We made a statement on the Greenwood County Democratic Party Facebook page and other places and made sure we pointed out that what has been done by legislation can be undone through legislation. Yes, it can. So this is not the end. The door is not closed forever. Since Roe v. Wade, it took them 50 years to undo it. If it takes us 50 years to put it back, so shall it be. But we're not going to stop fighting. Yeah. Now, I want to circle back to my opening remark about the John McCravey Tissue Fund. Okay, I got tissues. Because I had the pleasure of opening up the newspaper this morning and seeing the following headline in the Index Journal. And the headline is a photo of Representative McCravey, who we've talked about already, with a caption that says, quote, brought me to tears. So basically, the idea of passing this legislation that's going to ruin lives across the state has him crying tears of joy. 
Oh. Is so that if you kind? see Representative McCravey in the street, please offer the poor man a tissue. So that got him crying tears of joy, but Emmanuel Nine didn't. Did he shed one? Did he need a tissue for that? No, no. Okay. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap up this emergency edition of Black, White, and Blue in the South. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to speaking with you again next time. On behalf of myself and Jamel, have a great day. We still don't have that end line, do we? No. See, that's the problem. You called this emergency session, and I didn't have time to prepare an ending. That part needed to happen. Like, we needed this emergency session. I now need tissue. (laughs) That'll be our ending line. (laughs) Give me a tissue. The end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.